Over the last 30 years, debt, bankruptcy, and now home foreclosures have risen to a crisis proportion. In addition, the personal savings rate of Americans is at its lowest point since the Great Depression. What is wrong with us? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt from Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stuart Vise. Dr. Vise is professor of psychology at Connecticut College in New London, Connecticut. He won the William James Book Award for his last book, Believing in Magic, The Psychology of Superstition. He's an expert on irrational behavior. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Vise. Very glad to be here. Now, your latest book is called Going Broke, Why Americans Can't Hold On to Their Money. Why this topic? As you stated, it's a serious problem that's been around for quite a while, and it's sort of a hidden problem. People don't like to talk about their finances. We have the sense that many, many people are in debt. But it's also a topic that there's some new research on self-control that I was able to show has very good implications for this problem. It, It puts it in a clearer focus and also suggests ways that we can deal with it. Tell us about that, self-control. Well, economists would say that our preferences for things are pretty stable, that if you want a good retirement in the future, you're always going to have that in mind, and that's always going to be sort of in the forefront of your thinking on a daily basis. It turns out that's not at all the case. And if you think about it at all, you recognize that immediate things are very much overvalued, and they alter our preferences. Suddenly, an iPod or an iPhone that's right in front of you is going to be much more appealing and you're going to forget very quickly about the longer term, more important goals you have. And there's quite a bit of more recent research that shows that this is true, that we have a problem with immediate rewards. We overvalue them. And that is very much at the heart of our problem with debt. Tell us about the research there. I found that very interesting in your book. Well, it basically suggests that When you are thinking about something off in the future, you are wise. You are able to make judgments about what would be the best course of action, which reward would be most valuable to have. You know, a college education for our kids, a retirement for ourselves, a nice home, and a secure dotage when we get to be older. But the problem is that the research shows that very immediate things, things that we can act on very quickly, are valued much too highly, and they create a problem for us. And it really relates to many health problems. It relates to overweight. It relates to exercise, overeating and exercise. And it, of course, is deal with the possibility of making quick decisions on purchases. It leads to debt. Now, the tendency, I think, of most of us is to blame the banks and the mortgage companies, the credit card companies for our mountain of debt. Is that fair? Well, I think they deserve some of the blame. They have given people, obviously, much more than they can handle. I think the foreclosure crisis is an example of that that's very dramatic. And so they haven't necessarily been responsible lenders in all respects. But the fact is that much of the problem is due to technological developments that have made it easy to use that credit very quickly. It used to be the case that when you went home at night, you were pretty much out of the marketplace. Mm. Uh, You couldn't Mm -hmm. spend your money when you were at home. And now that's completely gone. We can spend 24 hours a day. The only time you can't spend money is pretty much when you're asleep. 
Oh, and I'm sure I could find a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people are working on that. But you know, that creates quite a demand on your self-control. If you're always in the marketplace, always potentially making a purchase, then it's uh, not surprising that more and more people in that environment are losing their money. So ideas on what to do about this, certainly, you know, as physicians, we have a terrible time getting people to control their health habits, as you mentioned, the overeating, drinking, that sort of thing. Any tips on how to have better control of our financial life? Well, there are some things that can be done that actually turn the technology in the favor of the individual. One of the things that seems so simple and old-fashioned is the idea that people need to save money. And the problem with debt is that when you have only debt and no savings, then any kind of emergency is immediately going to put you into trouble. And, you know, for example, a health emergency that isn't fully covered would, for many people, is going to be a big problem. If you have savings, then you're prepared and you can handle these things. And so, for example, savings that is done automatically, taken out of your paycheck before you even see it through a program at work or at your bank, is an excellent way to try to build up savings without it being quite as painful as it would be if you had to make deliberate deposits all the time. And there are a number of ways in the book that describe how to do this in a way that is invisible so that you don't actually see the money going away and you don't feel it as affecting your daily budget. One of the things you wrote about that I hadn't thought about in years was we used to have Christmas club accounts and those sorts of things. There were these automatic savings plans, of course, with horrible interest, but at least we did save the money. And, you know, you don't ever hear about those anymore. Right. I think that people tend to think about those plans as being bad investments. You know, there's no interest involved or very little interest. And savings in general, in traditional savings instruments, is bad if you think of it as an investment. But I think that we have to get away from that and realize that what's important is building up a nest egg of a rainy day fund so that people can live in the black, really living within their means, as opposed to using the credit card as a savings account. So yes, we used to have more of those kinds of instruments that made it easier to save, and you don't hardly hear about that at all anymore. I think there's a lot that the government and banks could do to offer these kinds of plans to people that would be very helpful. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stuart Vise. We are discussing his latest book, Going Broke, Why Americans Can't Hold On to Their Money. The other thing, as I read your book, I thought about was how easy it is to get cash now. And and I thought back to when I was in college, when I actually had to go to the bank and stand in line and deal with a human, you know, from whatever it was, nine to three during the week. And now my kids think you can just get money from the money machine any time, day or night. It's true. You know, just as the barriers to shopping have been removed and that we can do it at any time of day or night now, getting money is the same way. That used to be sort of a simple budgeting process that you sort of had to keep track of how much cash was in your pocket and think ahead about what you needed to do with that cash, knowing that it was going to take an effort to get to the bank and that it wouldn't be open much of the time. And I think that that had a tendency to help us budget and be less easy with that money going out of the pocket. Nowadays, that barrier has been removed. You don't even have to get up out of your car. You can drive through the money machine. There's very little effort involved. It can happen at any time of day or night, and you can get the cash you need. It is still better to use cash because 
you have to count it out and you have a little bit more of a sense of what's going out in expenses but than if you just simply swipe. But it's still true that we can get at our cash very quickly, and that means we have less of a natural budgeting process going on. Now, you had talked about the impact that technology has had. And again, another thing that I think we don't think about often is the timeline of our purchasing behavior. And this one really hit home for me since I'm sure I'm one of Amazon's best customers. Tell us a bit more about the timeline involved. You know, the crucial thing is sort of the moment at which you hand over your money, because after that transaction has taken place, it's harder to reverse it in most cases. And of course, for most retail purchases prior to the Internet and prior to, in the 1970s, the introduction of the 800 telephone number, that was a key introduction as well. But before that, you sort of had to go to the store. You had to travel to the store. Often the store wouldn't actually have what you're looking for. I mean, this still happens today. And you had to hand over money. That was a much longer timeline that had to be worked into your weekly schedule. And there were many things that might interrupt it, including the prudent thought that, well, maybe I don't actually need this thing in the first place, right, which could just simply occur to you at some time between getting the idea of purchasing it and getting to the store. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, everything is a click away. And so once you have that impulse to buy something, you can do it in 30 seconds. My students in college can buy whatever they want on the Internet. They don't have to have the money. They can use a credit card and they can do so without leaving their dorm rooms. You know, when I was in college, it was a very different thing. You had to walk downtown and buy whatever you wanted to buy, and you had to have cash to do it. And it was easier to be good under those circumstances. It was easier not to, you know, waste your money away when it took effort and time to do it. Well, and now we can even do it from our cell phone. I I can buy something on Amazon on my cell phone. Absolutely. (laughs) Which is really dangerous. It's true. It's true. I mean, you can buy a car while sitting on the couch at home, It's amazing, and it does mean that we are, I think, much more in the marketplace. Our minds are constantly thinking about, wouldn't it be nice to have that? And in the back of our minds is the idea that we could act on that very quickly. That's a real challenge for most of us. And doesn't advertising really feed into this? Absolutely. You know, advertising is the desire, the motivation underneath all of these purchases. And that, too, is an area where we've had tremendous innovation. We now have TV sets, flat-screen TV sets, almost everywhere you go. Anytime you see a group of people sitting down in a commercial environment, there's likely to be a television set there that, of course, has advertising on it. Advertising has, you know, does show up on your cell phones. It's all over the Internet. And it is found in places, you know, even out in the world that we never saw it before. You know, ads projected on the sides of buildings, on the backs of elevator doors, on airplane tray tables, even advertisements sprayed on the shelves of eggs in the supermarket. No. You know, so there are branded images everywhere you go, which means that we're having that desire for an object uh, reinforced daily, uh, almost minute by minute. How can we limit our exposure to all this advertising? One way that people are doing is to, in fact, turn off the TV. I mean, that's one big tunnel of advertising that comes into the home. I think the other thing is to just simply be conscious of it and to seek out activities that don't bring you into contact with branded images and don't bring you into contact with money, you know, the need to spend money in order to be entertained. 
a lot of people are also rethinking their magazine subscriptions and having catalogs not sent to their home. There are, there are a number of ways that you can stop junk mail from coming to your home. You can also, of course, do the same thing with your phone in terms of you know, do not calls for advertising and so on. So there are some ways to turn it back. It's very difficult. You know, in this world, it's very difficult to avoid advertising, but there are some ways to push it back a little bit. And your book, I might add, has many other options about how not to go broke. So thank you so much for being on our show today. My pleasure. We've been discussing the psychology of debt with author and professor Dr. Stuart Vise. He recently published a book called Going Broke, Why Americans Can't Hold On to Their Money. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157 the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at reachmd.com. Our on-demand and podcast features allow you to access our entire program library from your computer when you're not shopping. (laughs) Thank you for listening.